Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. Great. I've never been introduced with um, that story before, but it's cool to be introduced with that because it is. It's true. We've had a great time with the Aikland family, and um, if you have wandered into uh, Radiant Church today, one of the things you need to know is that they are the most loving pastoral couple I think I've ever met, and I and we put them to the test because my wife and I got <laughs> violently ill at their house, and so um, you guys are super blessed to have them as your pastors and, and, and uh, have the leadership team that you do. And it's great to, to be down here in the valley. We're learning about California. Uh, we, we've never been to this part of California before. We we've actually are not much of a West Coast family. My dad was in the Army, and we moved around a lot. My wife's from New Hampshire. And uh, we wandered into a, a, what's called a New Frontiers Church. It's not a denomination. It's just a family of churches. And uh, we wandered in in college. And looking for a community, looking for the things of the Spirit, and looking for someone who preached the Bible and could teach, and, and we found that, and, and we were forever just captivated by this idea that the local church could be the missionary. And uh, before that, it was always, you had the one or two missionaries who went to far-off places and came back and wearing African robes and, you know, speaking in a new dialect. And, and for us, it was the church can be the missionary. And I just love what's going on here and Visalia, I love what, just the stories I'm hearing, the impact you're having to go and make disciples right here in your city. Some of you will go, some of you will stay, and to be honest, that's irrelevant as long as we're all living on mission together, engaging in the city, loving the city, and proclaiming God's word. And so it's great to be here. I'm super excited to be here. I'd ask if you'd open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Uh, you guys have been in a series called uh, Redemption, I believe is the name of the series, and uh, this is a, a basically a walk through the book of Exodus, although it's not line by line, verse by verse. It's more snapshot by snapshot. It's kind of the pictures of Exodus. And so uh, I know Mike did a great job last week taking you through with Joseph and, and looking at this idea of suffering. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of a, a not-so-happy topic, is it? I mean, these, this idea of suffering, this idea that Jesus suffered, this idea that as, as the followers of Jesus that we will face suffering, it's one of the guarantees on our lives as a Jesus follower. And uh, that's not always that exciting. That, that doesn't usually end up on the Hallmark card or on the verse on your refrigerator. But it's, it's part of life following Jesus. But there's a bigger picture going on. There's a bigger story being told as we're suffering. And this book of Exodus is going to show us that. And, and, and I think no other story in the Bible than the story of Joseph shows us that God has a bigger story going on. And I love that line at the end where, where Joseph says to them, he says, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. And, you know, he sits in a prison and, and all these horrible things are happening to him, but he can see this picture that God is working good. And, uh, 
So we're going to continue to look at that. And just, just to bring you up to speed real quick, uh, Joseph uh, died. Uh, the Israelites stayed in Egypt and uh, the Pharaoh died. And so all the promises made by the Pharaoh kind of died with the Pharaoh. And a new Pharaoh came along and, and he'd forgotten about the value of having the Israelites. And so he began to oppress the Israelites and uh, began to uh, k- kind of se- uh, segregate them. He uh, put harsh laws on them. One of the harsh laws that he put on them was that if you have a male boy, uh, then they need to be killed at birth. And so obviously that's a pretty tragic law to be placed on you. But there was a heroic woman who had a baby boy. And when she had the baby boy, uh, she wrapped the baby up in swaddling clothes, put him in a basket, sent him down the river. And he was picked up by the princess, the Pharaoh's daughter, and, and, and taken into the Pharaoh's household. And, and this guy's name was Moses. I know a lot of you have probably heard of this guy. And uh, Moses ends up growing up in the household of Pharaoh. But he's aware of the fact that he's different. He's aware of the fact that he's actually an Israelite. He's one of these people that is oppressed in this, within the nation. With this nation within the nation, he belonged to them. And so one day he sees this, uh, this Egyptian soldier mistreating an Israelite, and he just loses it. And he goes off on the guy, and he ends up killing the guy. And, and so Moses murders this Egyptian soldier. And uh, he flees at this point. He takes off and he goes into uh, the wilderness. And while he's out in the wilderness, he meets a wife. He shepherds some sheep. And more importantly, and most importantly, he meets with God. And so I want to pick up at that point where he meets with God. So if we're looking at Exodus chapter 3, verses 4 through 14. It says, when... The Lord saw that he, oh, I'm sorry, let me just catch up one more step to catch up on. Moses is shepherding his sheep, looks over and he sees this bush on fire, and yet it's not burning up. And so it's this pretty remarkable moment. And he does what everybody should do when you see a bush on fire that's not burning up. You should pull off to the side of the road and look at it, okay? So if, in case you ever come across that. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. 
you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God says, I have seen the affliction. The cry of this people have come to me. I have seen the oppression. Let's, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us. Lord, we thank you that you are God who's come near. We thank you that you loved us so that we can love you. And we just pray as we engage in your word, as we engage in this story of redemption, I pray that you would change us forever, that our hearts would be soft to you. We pray that your word would do what it's supposed to do, that it would cut, that it would unfold, that it would unpack the secrets of our hearts, that we might be known by you and seen by you. I thank you that you hear, you see, and you know. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here's, here's the one-liner for you. If you're going to remember anything from this message today, it's this. When we are at our worst, God gives his best. When we are at our worst, God gives his best. And see, God sees and God hears. And so oftentimes when I'm engaging with people who are kind of trying to wrestle with God, wrestle with the things of life, wrestle with suffering, you hear this question, you hear this statement often. Where was God when, fill in the blank. Where was God when I was being abused? Where was God when I was being taken advantage of? Where was God when my mom died? Where was God when my husband died? And, and, and we, have, we have these questions, and they're real questions, and we're wrestling with them. And we know one thing is true in this story is that God sees, he hears, and not only that, he responds. He responds. And so Moses is uh, being called out by God to go and to approach Pharaoh and to say to Pharaoh, let my people go that they might go and worship God. And so Moses says, I'm sorry, who should I say is sending me here? I'm sorry, uh, you know, they're going to ask me this question. What authority do I have to say this? Who's sending me? And uh, God simply says to him, he says, tell him that I am sent you. I am who I am, which is a, a difficult uh, name to translate in the English language. It actually means I was, I am, and I always will be. And so when, when you hear that, we're, we're talking about the eternal God. Uh, God is saying that I am the eternal one, the one who created all things. All things were created by me and through me and the one who always will be. And so he, he goes to Pharaoh and he, and he gathers, well, first he goes to, to the Israelites and he gathers the leaders, he gathers the people. And you can imagine this moment where they've been in slavery for all these years and life has been super hard on them. And he goes to them and he says to the leaders, he says to the people, I've got great news for you all. God has sent me to, to redeem this nation. Out of, we're getting out of here. God has called me to go to Pharaoh and to say, we're out of here. And can you imagine the celebration that would have taken place? That sense of finally our redeemer has come. Our savior has come. God sent a man to save them out of Egypt. And, and this sense of celebration that would have taken place. And, and so then, then uh, Moses goes with his brother Aaron and they go into Pharaoh and they say to Pharaoh, he says, all right, here's the deal. 
God has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that we can go and worship him. And Pharaoh says, you lazy group of so-and-sos. You lazy people. You're wasting time here. You need to get back to work. And so not only do they have to go back to work, he all of a sudden he says to them, he says, I want you to, to meet that same quota of, of brick making, but you're going to do it without straws. Now, I don't know a lot about making bricks, but apparently straws kind of held the bricks together. They made life easier for the brick maker to make it. And so they had to go and they have to make bricks with no straw now. So here's this moment. Celebrate. Redemption has come. Our Savior has come. And then all of a sudden, life is worse than we thought it was going to be. Now, how many of you might have that story? Just You, you became a Christian. You gave your life to Jesus, and, and uh, you met with Jesus, and you gave your life to him, and, and you think, man, this is going to be great. And, and all of a sudden, your life and the practicalities of life just got worse. I mean, you, you, got, you've, you've, you got more strain in your family life now because you became a Christian. You know, you, you can't cheat and steal anymore at work, so you're not as productive as you used to be at work. You know, like all these things kind of happen to you and you think, I thought this was, you wanted to write your story of redemption. You wanted to say, okay, God, you're going to save me. You're going to forgive me of my sins. You're going to help me forget about all those things I've done and that were done to me. And you're going to save my brother. And then you're going to heal my grandmother. And then you're going to get me this lifestyle that I want to live. And none of that happened except for the forgiveness of sins part. But actually that begins to kind of go lower and lower on your list of things you really wanted. And so the story of redemption actually is, it's hard. It's hard. The only explanation I can give for you is that God sits 50,000 feet up. He's zoomed out of the story. And he looks down on the beginning and the end of the story. And he's working all things for the good. So Mike Wilkerson, who wrote a book called Redemption, he writes the following. He says, in the big story, God is both the author and the main character, and listen to this, and he's writing you into the story to say something about himself. I love that. So you actually, you need to have the pen taken out of your hand, because you're a bad storyteller. You're not a good author. And yet God is a great author, and, and just to read that again, it says God is both the author and the main character, and he's writing you into the story to say something about himself. And so at any given moment, at any given turn in your life, you can ask that question, what is God wanting to say about himself? And it's in our moments of suffering, it's in our moments of trial, it's in our moments when things aren't going well that we speak the loudest about who God is. Because when everything's going well and you're like, God is good, yeah, all the time. You know, you're kinda, you kind of, everything's like, yeah, no, duh, man, you, you're, you're making all this money, your family's healthy, everything's great. But it's in our moments of suffering that God gives us an opportunity to shout really loud about what we believe about him and who he is. But Israel was not pleased. They weren't happy with this uh, very unpleasant turn of events. They said some very unpleasant things about God and about Moses. Nice one, Moses. We thought this was going to go in a different direction. And see, we can so easily think that Jesus came to save the good guys. But he actually came to save the bad guys. And as we go through the story of Exodus, we need to know that the Israelites were oftentimes the bad guys. Now, I know that's hard to hear sometimes. 
They were the people of God. They were God's unique chosen people on the earth. But they actually wagged their finger at God quite a bit. They said some pretty harsh things about God and about his servant Moses. But God wasn't surprised. God wasn't saying to, to you know, the, the, the heavenly realm, he wasn't saying, man, I really thought that was going to work. <laughs> Let's uh, huddle up and come up with a new plan. You know, he, he wasn't surprised by this. In fact, God was strategically, strategically doing something. He was strategically on the move to tear down, to systematically tear down all the Egyptian gods that the, that the uh, Israelites began to worship. Did you know that in the story that the Israelites had begun to worship the Egyptian gods? Actually, in Joshua, if you fast forward the story, in the book of Joshua 24 through 14, it says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. The Israelites had served the Egyptian gods. They worshipped the Egyptian gods. They were idol worshippers. They gave themselves to them. And, and really, to no surprise, the Egyptians were a prosperous nation. They had a lot of authority. They had a lot of power. And they thought, man, their gods work. Our God doesn't work. And, and we often do that in our own lives where we begin to exchange our God, the one true and living God, for these fake gods, these kind of functional saviors, because we're saying to God, God, you don't work. This God works. And see, the, uh, the thing is, is that God will never save you without revealing himself to you. God, God will never pluck you out of a situation, whatever your trial is. He'll never just pluck you out so that you're kind of like bungee corded out of it. And then you land somewhere and go, oh, what just happened? I don't know, but it's better that I'm not in that situation. Because he will never bless you with something other than himself. He'll never bless you with something other than himself. So that's where the whole health and wealth, prosperity gospel falls apart because it's like, man, if I can just worship God, if I can just kind of worship God, then he's going to give me this. And then he becomes a means to the end. And God is not a means to the end. He is the end. He is everything. He's our great reward. He's our great savior. The psalmist says, whom have I in heaven but you? And he's saying, really, in heaven? You know, heaven is kind of, we, all, we think like it's, it's going to be amazing to be uh, reunited with all our friends and family and, you know, all this stuff. And, and, and you can sing that song, you know, reunited, and it feels so good. And, and so you think, man, I can't wait to get to heaven because I'm going to see, you know, and, and actually, the psalmist says, whom have I in heaven but you? There is no greater reward than to have you. And so, they weren't innocent victims, these Israelites. They had sinned against God. They had sinned against God, and they'd given themselves to these, these minor idol gods that the Egyptians served. And listen, and when, we, when we serve, when we sin, we need to know this. When we sin, it's not a behavior disorder. It's a worship disorder. When you sin, it's not a behavior disorder, it's a worship disorder. So you think, well, I sinned because, or, or, so I went online and I looked at some pornography. And so that was the sin. No, 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 the sin was, in your heart, you were worshiping something other than God and you desired to go online and look at pornography. And the outcome of that was that you went online and looked at pornography. And so it's not a behavior disorder, it's a worship disorder. So let, let me try to illustrate this for you. So when we, when we sin, 
with wide eyes, we stand... So say this is the cross of Christ. Oh, there's a cross. Say that's the cross of Christ. <laughs> and, and you look at it and you say, I have these desires, God. I have needs and you're not meeting my needs. You don't understand me. You don't get it. And, and your plans are not good. You're not good. And, and, and you wag your finger and you say... And, it's a, and so it's not just a, a disobedience to God. It's an accusation against God when you sin. It's a finger-wagging accusation against God. And so you go beyond the cross, and you engage in what you think will satisfy you. You engage in, in whatever it is. So whether it's uh, drugs or alcohol or pornography or whatever it is, or just loving your kids more than you love God kind of thing. You're saying your ways are not good. And so that's why when you sin, it's not about just saying sorry. It's this thing in the Bible called repentance. Repentance means an about face. It's a 180-degree turn. And so when you've gone past the cross, the mature Christian turns, repents, and looks at the cross and says, I'm so sorry. Your ways are good. You are satisfying. You are the only God. And so we, we, we engage in this time and time again. So we don't have our little wooden idols in our house, and we don't have uh, these sort. Maybe you do, but, but, but most people don't. Like, you, you know, we're not worshiping these sorts of things, but, but we give ourselves to these sins and we make accusations against God. And, and I, that, I mean, you look at God in the eye, so to speak, and you say, you are not good. You're not great. You're not awesome. And Israel was like that. They were like the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of who cares? You're not doing it for us. We want results. And, th- and that's the same for us today. That's the same for us today. So sometimes God wants to just heal you, like boom. Sometimes God just wants to change your circumstance, boom. And he does that. But oftentimes God actually wants to bring you through a process so that he can reveal himself to you. Because he will never save you without revealing himself to you. He will never bless you without giving himself to you. And Israel had given themselves to their oppressors' gods. And you think, that sounds stupid. Can we just agree to that? That when you give yourself to the people who oppress you, who murder your babies, who whip you and abuse you, and you say, like, I'm going to worship their God. Can we just agree that that's stupid? And yet, we give ourselves to the gods of this world time and time again. And we worship things that want to abuse us and want to oppress us. And want to call us things that we really aren't. And so we need to see God correctly. And we need to get through that. And the way we get through it is we just, we grow in this idea of repentance. We grow in repenting. We grow in, and once we've passed the cross, sometimes we pass the cross and we just feel so much shame that we're just going to keep walking past the cross. And you're like years down the road and finally, you know, something gets to you and you say, oh, I got to repent. But actually maturity is you go past the cross, you turn immediately. And the closer you get, the closer you get, the closer you get, and then all of a sudden you're just at the cross. You can't get by the cross. You can't get right. So we have these functional saviors, and we're saying to them, save me. Save me. We want God to save us, but actually we turn to things like alcohol. We say, alcohol, if I can just get drunk one more time, save me. If I could just get high one more time, save me. If I could just feel sexual satisfaction, then I could be saved. And, and we give ourselves to these things. And every time we do this, we point at God and we say, you're not good. You're not good. So listen, this is important. When you sin, you do not behave your way out of the sin. So, so to overcome sin isn't a matter of white-knuckling it. 
try hard. Don't do that. 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 It's actually worshiping your way out of the sin. So when you're tempted to sin, because we're all tempted. Jesus was tempted. It's okay to be tempted. It's going to happen. But when you are tempted to sin, our, our, our defense isn't white knuckles. It's worship. And I'm not talking about a song. You don't need to run to your CD player real quick and pop in that latest Chris Tomlin album. It's about saying, God, you are good enough. I trust you, God, that you can satisfy me. You know, I've longed for that husband, and you, you haven't given it to me, but I trust you. I've longed for that healing, and you haven't given it to me, but I trust you. And, and we worship our way through the temptations. So getting back to the story of, of redemption here in Exodus, they, God wants to do something. So God wants to reveal himself to the people of Israel, and he wants to reveal himself to the Egyptians. I think that's one of the cool things in this story, is you see time and time again that God's actually wanting to reveal himself to the Egyptians. And, and uh, he does so by bringing 10 plagues, 10 plagues. And, and so I, I think, you know, kind of in an agricultural community, you guys are going to get these plagues pretty well. Um, when I teach in Tacoma, we're in a city, and, you know, we don't get the impact of these sorts of things. But God says time and time again as he brings these plagues, we're not, we don't have time to look at all of them in depth, but as he brings these plagues, he says, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, I will save you. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, I will save you. So plague number one, he turns the Nile River into blood. Now, the Nile River, as we were driving back, we were at the beach, and we came uh, to Visalia, and as we were driving in, we saw all the political signs that we need water, right? And that's, that's a no-duh. I don't know where you stand politically on that. I'm not trying to get political, but yeah, you need water, okay? So anyways, <laughs> so, so the Nile was their source of life. The Nile was worshipped by them as a god because the Nile was their source of life. It's what held their crops together. It's what held their, their uh, cattle together. Uh, everything they needed for their, their water supplies, it all came from the Nile. And they worshipped the Nile. And God just pff, turns it into blood. And they say, oh, we don't want this anymore. You can leave. Let the Israelites go. Okay, you can go. Okay, God, turn it back to water. Okay, he turns it back to water. Psych, you're not going. So the second plague is, uh, you know, uh, Moses goes, he says, let my people go. And uh, God sends frogs, frogs everywhere. It's just disgusting. And, uh, and they say, okay, 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 okay. We'll let you go. We'll let you go. And he says, okay, take the frogs away. We'll let you go. It's like, then flies, then a plague on the livestock of Egypt. And all of these things were representing their gods that they worshiped. The, the hope that they had was in these things. And, and God just began to systematically dismantle their gods, systematically tear down each and everything they worshiped. Then boils, which is nasty stuff all over their skin. Then hail, then locusts, and then darkness. There isn't a culture on planet earth that at some point didn't either worship the sun or have some sort of sun god or, I mean, everything. Can you imagine if the sun stops burning, it's over, folks. Lights out, literally. No more heat, it's done. We're, we're, we're gone. And God just, covers the sun. The sun doesn't burn. And that's like living in Tacoma, Washington. <laughs> and he dismantles their gods. He dismantles their gods. And then at the end, the 10th plague is the most vicious of them all. And it's the most shocking uh, because he's going to dismantle their highest god. And that's the god of the Pharaoh. 
the Pharaoh was the king of Egypt, and the Pharaoh was to have sons so that the next son could be the next Pharaoh. And they worshiped the Pharaoh. They called him O Sovereign One. O Sovereign One. And God sets out to dismantle this chief God, Pharaoh. And God says to Moses, he says, look, this one is going to work. Get ready to get out of town. Make sure you're ready to go because this one's going to work. But I'm going to involve you in this one. The other ones, he didn't involve them in it, but he's going to involve them in this one. And he says to them, uh, he says, go and get an unblemished one-year-old lamb and don't break any of the bones on this lamb. When you kill them, drain the blood out and then take the blood and paint the doorposts of your house with the blood. Paint the doorposts of your house with the blood. And when you walk through the doorpost, you're going to realize something because this is the plague. The plague is I'm going to kill every firstborn child and livestock. So the firstborn of Pharaoh would die and the firstborn of every household in Egypt would die unless they had this blood over their doors. And and what it would do for them is they would be reminded when they walked through the doors, it said that um, they would realize something died so that I didn't have to die. Something died, so I didn't have to die. Remember, they weren't innocent. We're not talking about these cute little cherub kids from Israel who were good kids. These are, these are people who are worshiping false gods, but this blood did something for them. This blood did something remarkable for them. And so when they painted the doorpost, they were safe. They were safe. And they roasted the lamb. They ate it together. And this became to be known as what's called Passover, and which is still celebrated all over the world today. And so let me just pick up the story in Exodus 12. Exodus 12. We're going to wrap it up with this. Exodus 12, 29 through 32. This is what happened. Exodus 12, 29 through 32. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up! Go out from among my people, both you and your people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Every single house in Egypt had a dead body in it. Their livestock devastated by this plague. And in Israel... There was something dead, but it wasn't their firstborn. It wasn't their livestock. It was the lamb. That was, blood was painted over the doorpost for them. And they could sing. They could chant. They could could just cry out, the lamb died. So we didn't have to. So what does that have to do with us? Well, God wants to redeem you. God wants to save you. And the way he does it is like sending Moses, God sent a man named Jesus who was a better, perfect Moses who didn't murder. He wasn't a sinner like Moses was. He was without sin even though he was tempted 
in every way, and he perfectly obeyed the Father, and he died the death that we deserved. And if you know anything about the New Testament, there's this moment where John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. And now we get to say, we get life because someone else died. We get to live because someone else's blood was shed on our behalf. And we get the covering of Jesus' blood. It speaks a better word for us. It makes a declaration over us that we're free. We're no longer slaves. You may have never been a slave in a foreign nation, but you are a slave to sin. And it breaks the chains of slavery and says you're no longer a slave. You're a son. You're a daughter. Let me just pray and we'll end with that. Jesus, we thank you for this word spoken over us, that your blood speaks a better word. We thank you, Jesus, that you have made a way for us, that you've provided salvation for us, and we rejoice in that. We love it. And so, God, I just pray, help us. Help us to repent quickly. Lord, for anybody who's bound up in a sin, habitual sin, we just pray, Lord, that they would see you clearly and they would find ways to worship their way out, Lord, that they would find community to help them and they could worship their way out of that sin because you love us so much. You've provided that for us, Lord. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com. Until next time. Beautiful